G'day folks and welcome. I'm Chris Faber. And I'm TJ Stedman. And you're listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast coming to you from sunny Western Australia. G'day folks and welcome back to the first episode of Season 2 of the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. The show that tackles your questions about the biblical giants. That's right. It's our second season now, so that means if you haven't listened to the first season, drop everything. Stop what you're doing. Go back and listen to the first season. Catch all the great stuff that we covered there. 20 episodes later, and you're back. G'day, folks, and welcome back again to the first episode of Season 2 of the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. I'm the resident word nerd, TJ Stedman, and it's good to have you back. It's good to be back, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Chris, the Superman Bather, and we're going to be talking about some pretty interesting, maybe a little bit scary stuff today for our Halloween special We've got an exciting second season coming up, which of course is going to be all about Genesis 2, and we're going to be creeping through the text as is our want and pulling apart all those mysterious little things that didn't quite make sense until we start to apply the ancient Near Eastern worldview to the text, and all shall become clear. But for now, since we're recording this right near Halloween, we thought what better way to celebrate All Hallows' Eve than to perhaps share some stories about the dead or what's left of them. <laughs> Stop that or I'm going to tell your wife. Sorry. Now, uh, many evangelicals today subscribe to the idea that Halloween is all about witchcraft and evil and sorcery and all that kind of thing. And in some circles, yes, it is, and that's true. But there's a whole other side to Christian tradition that if you don't get out and look around, you could miss completely. Because certainly in the high churches, the liturgical churches, those that follow a liturgical calendar through the year. It just so happens that All Saints Day, the day when the dead are remembered and honoured for their contributions in the past, that day is also called All Hallows Day. And of course, the night before is All Hallows Evening, which is where we get the term Halloween. It's an abbreviation of that. So with that in mind, and knowing that much of the church around the world will be celebrating the contributions of the saints, while many others will be shunning any kind of remembrance of ancient ritual, I thought, well, let's just ditch that debate entirely and just tell some scary stories. And turns out I've got a few of my own. Now, some listeners might be aware of what was perhaps the most frightening of all my experiences because I shared it on air as a guest on the UFO Chronicles podcast with Nick Hunter. For those who want to check that out, it was episode 77 of that program. The episode title is The Uninvited, and my appearance is the last guest for the episode. That one was about demons. Well, one particular demon. So if you want to go hear that, uh, go check it out and then come back and keep listening to us here. G'day, folks. So welcome back again, once more again, to the first episode of Season 2 of the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. Now we are just about to get into some spooky stories. These are considerably less horrific, but still a bit weird, and they'll make you think, especially if you've been reading Answers to Giant Questions and taking in the stuff about the kinds of embodiment that different entities have. After all, what are demons, if not dead giants, persevering? So let's begin. Adapted from the words of Mary Schmick, made famous by Baz Luhrmann, and brought to life in audio by Lee Perry, for the soundtrack Romeo and Juliet. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, Read scripture. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, scripture would be it. The long-term benefits of scripture have been proved by saints, whereas for the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. 
It was the summer of 1996 and a friend and I were looking for something to do one afternoon as the sun was still hot and high. And so he on his skateboard and I on my BMX packed our gear into his mother's station wagon and we drove out to the foothills east of Gosnells, Western Australia. We followed a gravel path up the hillside, winding our way to the top of the hill where we spent the afternoon messing around, climbing rocks, looking for old stuff laying about on the ground. There was a shooting range up there and we would collect bullet shells and whatever other interesting things we could find. We watched kangaroos and we drank from the stream. The sun was setting as we decided it was time to head back home and we started to wind our way back down the path. As we were coming toward the bottom of the hill on our final approach toward the place where we parked the car, we both noticed that there were two people walking towards us up the hill. When I saw these people, I said to my friend who was with me on his skateboard, these two look a bit odd. What are they doing here at this hour? There's nowhere to stay up here in the hills. My friend agreed with me that it was very unusual and remarked that the people looked a bit strange and I agreed that there was something odd about them. As we watched them walking toward us, it became apparent to us that while their clothing appeared to glow, we couldn't actually see their bodies. There was just clothes and they walked towards us like any ordinary person would walk, but we couldn't see any skin, no faces. They were blurry. Since I was on my BMX and capable of going faster than my friend on his skateboard, I said that I would go and head toward these people to get a better look because this was really confusing us. And so I started to ride faster. And as a bit of a visual trick to try and get some perspective, I started to zigzag across the road as I approached them in much the same way that an owl might bob its head to gain better depth perception. But it seems that I could not get any closer to these two individuals who were walking. The further I rode in their direction, the further they seemed to retreat from my presence. They were going backwards now, going faster, and they hadn't turned around, and their movements hadn't altered at all. They never turned around. They never broke into bigger strides. They just went faster, and as much as I tried to keep up, I could not. I'd forgotten all about my friend behind me on his skateboard as I raced at top speed around the bend, following these two individuals while they streaked back down the side of the road. And then I watched in disbelief as they went through the thick bushes on the roadside, the thorny, prickly scrub that grew either side of the road, they went right through it without making a sound. I never lost sight of them as they went through the bushes. They were now on the other side of the bushes and the barbed wire fence and streaked out through a paddock of tall, dry grass running parallel to the road. I was forced to stop because of the gate across the bottom of the track. And as I sat there, puffing and panting and watching them disappear, I became conscious of the sound of my friend coming behind me on his skateboard. When my friend caught up to me, he was not just out of breath, he was visibly shaken. He was shocked. He was deeply disturbed and he was almost hysterical asking me if I had seen what happened to him and if I had heard him screaming behind me. I replied honestly that I had not heard him and didn't know what he'd seen and then he described to me that after I had taken off after these two apparitions, a third creature had appeared from out of the bush right beside me and cut across in front of the path of my friend and behind my back. This creature was black and hairy looking, went on all fours from one side of the road to the other side, disappearing into the bush without a sound. My friend was almost taken off his skateboard because it came so close to him, and he was terrified because of the sheer size of this thing and its terrible appearance. He said that it was quite large, although it went on all fours, so he couldn't tell how tall it was, how tall it might have been on two legs. There are no creatures native to Australia that fit the description that he gave. Certainly not in that part of the world, and to this day we cannot be sure what it was that my friend had seen. 
My friend asked what had happened to the two people that we had seen, and I told him that as I stopped at the gate, all I could do was watch as they disappeared. How as they approached the end of the street further down the track, they passed beneath the streetlight and vanished from view. We couldn't wait to get out of there. Although we returned many times to that place, we never went at sunset ever again. I went there once with another friend who's quite spiritually sensitive, and he said that it felt like a place where someone had been killed, and he didn't want to come back. So I don't know if that counts as a Bigfoot encounter. Maybe. Here in Australia, we have a traditional term from the Indigenous community for the Bigfoot. They call it the Yowie. Similar description. Ape-man type creature, dark hair all over, either upright or on all fours. Would have been cool to see it myself, but as I say, it was behind me, so I didn't catch it. There's another mysterious creature known here in Australia called the Bunyip. The Bunyip is a different kind of beast, sometimes described as aquatic and having tusks like a walrus. There's water holes up that way, but I think you'd have to be closer to the water than we were. The nearest significant water was maybe half a kilometre away. And the interesting thing is that if you study Bigfoot encounters, you almost always have other strange phenomena encountered in conjunction with the appearance of the Bigfoot which is consistent with our sighting of the two luminous figures walking on the trail. I don't know what that means or what to do with it, but there it is. So, if you've encountered something like that, there's something strange in your neighbourhood. Something strange and it don't look good. Who are you going to call? Go to giantanswers.com and send in your story. And if you want to be interviewed on the show about your experience, leave your email address there too, so we can email you back. Okay, Tim, well, that's scary enough for me and very interesting story, I might add. Can we wrap it up now or maybe we could just tell jokes? You know, I mean, I think your your jokes are pretty scary anyway, but I know you have some more stories for us, haven't you? Even more scary. Hmm. Yes, well, I most certainly have. All right, so, well, we've had uh, cryptids. I suppose that that was fun. We'll we'll move on to something a little darker. What about poltergeist encounters? Ghosts, that kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Well, here we go. Uh, as you know, I promote my work all over the place online, and that has me dipping my toes in the water in some pretty strange places. Sometimes mm-hmm. people in these fringe communities reach out and contact me directly, looking for help. It's good that you can do that, actually. Yeah. So this one time at band camp, sorry, this one time I had a lady contact me who. Uh, I won't reveal her name, but I actually alluded to this on the podcast some time ago. She said to me that she was at her wit's end because of weird stuff going on in her house. Her daughter was having horrific nightmares about the devil claiming to be her father, and there were disturbances in the house too, like orbs of light appearing at night and strange noises. So I offered some advice, and I've shared that in the podcast before. It was about the same time that the show aired. If you go back and listen to season one, episode four, that was pretty much in response to that situation. So go and listen to that now. G'day, folks, and welcome back again, once more again, this time to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. We've just been listening to a story about a possible Yowie Bigfoot encounter, and now we're into poltergeists. That's right, poltergeists, plural. So after my conversation with this lady, the following night my son woke up crying. We consoled him and put him back to bed. And Next day he was out of sorts, not happy at school, and after school we asked him what was wrong, and he said that he'd had a nightmare last night in which the devil had told him he was my son's father and he was going to make my son do bad things. This is the kind of evil I'm dealing with in this work. 
So if a podcast episode is a little late or the sound is bad or something, that's often why. That same night was when I recorded episode four with Chris. We did it remotely, so Chris in his home and me in my back shed. I worked really hard in post-production to clean up the audio, but there was a lot of interference electrically. And it just so happened that whenever I referred to God or gave information about demons, the audio crackled and glitched and got all garbled up. Some of that audio was totally lost and unusable. After the recording... Later that night, my wife and I got in bed and suddenly the bed frame just shattered. Thick timber beams just snapped and the whole side of the bed dropped to the floor. There were pieces of the bed frame strewn across the room. The, the drop to the floor jarred my back. I had to clean it all up, sleep on the couch. I still can't explain scientifically how the bed just blew apart with that kind of force. It was a really robust bed and it literally shattered beneath us. My wife just turned to me and said, whatever you're doing in that podcast, you must have ticked someone off. Yeah, I do remember you telling me about that. It sounded very uh, odd and intense. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Here's something else you might remember. This was late in 1998, if I remember correctly. Do you remember that time we went into Fremantle real early in the morning for a prayer walk? I do remember that. And, um, yeah, your memory is much better than mine, but uh, (laughs) it's a very interesting story. Yeah, so... About 5 a.m. one Saturday in the summertime, a whole bunch of us from our church drove out to the city of Fremantle to do a prayer walk in the middle of town. You go at that time because there's no one around. You can do what you want without interruption or distraction, or so we thought. So we were walking around through malls and arcades in the middle of Frio, praying that God would remove the influences of the occultists and Satanists and all the witchcraft and stuff that was on display in every street and down every lane or alleyway. And so we'd stop out the front of some New Age astrology store or the Satanic Church or a Wiccan supply store. I had all these mapped out, and we'd pray for it to be closed down. So it's super early in the morning and there's nobody around. We're at the front of this New Age shop where they sell little idols and costumes and stones and stuff that probably looks like nice little trinkets if you're that naive. And we're praying in a circle. As we pray, a man appears. I I think he came from the other side of the arcade. He must have been watching us. And he says loudly, this looks like a den of Beelzebub, doesn't it? And we all stop. We're a bit taken aback. We're like, how did he know what we're doing? How how does he know what to say that sort of revealed what he knew about us? He obviously knew we were Christians. Why else would you say something like that? He, He asked what we were doing, and one of our friends told him, we're praying to God that he would close this place down, and we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come here instead. And then this guy began to ask us, what made us think that we had any right to do that? There are so many gods, and how did we know we had the right religion or the right God? And he started going on about ancient Greek religion and how old it was and all that. So some of our group began to engage with this guy, and they're arguing back and forth. And at this point, my pastor whispers to me, he says, we're being distracted, let's go. And he and I left the group and continued to walk around the block, praying according to our plan and also praying for our friends. Now, Chris, you were in the group that engaged with this guy. What was it like? You remember much? Uh, I remember the feeling because I remember that our friends were quite bold and confident. And um, I think, you know, we'd had quite a few encounters with odd individuals up until that point. So it wasn't necessarily scary or weird but i think in my mind it was the first time i I sensed the connection between spiritual forces and odd behavior of people um Mm. but i I was actually quite uh, encouraged by how people were just okay let's just pray and let's just get up in this guy's face and declare the power of god not in a threatening manner or not in an arrogant manner but i just in a declaring the praises of god because what else is there to do it's obvious um, so I, I, I didn't engage necessarily, 
um, but just witnessing it all was great encouragement to me, I felt. Yeah, so the pastor and I come back. We've been around the block, and we return to see our guys all up in this dude's face, loudly yelling praises to God, declaring his authority and this kind of thing, while he's resisting them and trying to tell them they've got no right to be there, and there are far older religions in the world than Christianity. And at the moment when he sees the pastor and I return, he stops, and he, he looks angry. I, I get this weird gleam in his eye like, fire or something and he slips out of the middle of our group and he just walks quickly around the corner of the mall and into the street and i think he'd realized that we'd completed our prayer walk without him and he was furious about it but while everyone else was praising god and praying and talking about this encounter i had a thought like where's this guy going at 6 a.m so i followed him around the corner and he was gone in the middle of the widest street in the middle of Fremantle, he'd vanished there was nowhere to hide he was just gone, and I honestly wasn't surprised. That was such a, a strange thing that happened with that interesting guy. So what do you think that was, Tim? Was he some kind of spirit or something? Was he just a, a weirdo? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm quite sure he was physically real. I do remember him. Um, but, you know, I can't say that he was a ghost. We couldn't see through him. So what do you do with all that? Does the Bible say anything about this kind of thing yeah yeah i i reckon it does chris as as an example when we look at the story of abraham and the three men that come to visit him yeah i mean one of them is god the other two are not god but they're very tangible individuals they sit they eat food they drink uh, for all intents and purposes they're very real individuals and at first they're called men but later they're described as angels and they have some very peculiar abilities as we find in the story of lot's rescue from sodom so I think that story really provides us with a solid model for interpreting what we saw that day. It fits all the criteria. The only difference is that this particular entity was not a good guy, which leads me to conclude that he was almost certainly one like the fallen sons of God, possibly one of the watchers. I, I won't declare categorically that that's exactly what we were dealing with, uh, but the shoe fits. He had special knowledge. He had... A physical body he spoke audibly to the whole group of us he somehow appeared different to a normal human i mean for me it was just that glow in his eyes that gave him away I, otherwise he looked very ordinary and he was able to appear and disappear at a moment's notice yeah good point and you know i did always wonder and still do how do people in the bible know when they're talking to an angel yeah something seems to give him away but we're never told precisely what it is um, there's a lot more about that in the book, Answers to Giant Questions, of course. You can get yourself a copy on Amazon or just follow the links from giantanswers.com. Um, okay, so we've had a few interesting stories. Whether or not you thought they were ghost stories is immaterial, pun intended. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I admire your persistence. Yeah, sorry. Father of three. I'm here all week. Anyway, that's enough of that. It's time <laughs> to talk about the good stuff now. Um, season two. Yeah, season two already. So what is coming up this season? Well, as I alluded to in the dying moments of season one, we are going in search of the Garden of Eden. We're going to look at Adam's experience of being torn in half by God in his sleep and whether or not that counts as an alien abduction involving experimentation on Adam's body. And we're going to find out what really being made of dust actually means. But first, we're going to get reintroduced to God in a deeper and more personal way. We'll also get a handle on how the book of Genesis is structured and what that means for our ongoing study of the primeval history. So all that next week on the Answers to Giant Questions podcast.
All right, folks, it's time for Giant Warfare. And um, I must say that I've been watching a lot of HD's wrestling videos lately with uh, Andre the Giant in them. Uh, but that's not the kind of warfare we're talking about. Let's talk about strategy. How can we be effective in the fight against territorial spirits? Well, since I mentioned it earlier, I want to talk about spiritual mapping. This is a practice that was big in the 90s as popularised by folks like C. Peter Wagner, Derek Prince and others. I once owned Wagner's book from 1993 entitled Breaking Strongholds in Your City. I do remember those days of, you know, spiritual mapping and when it was big and a little bit scary and unsure and, yeah, crazy times but good times. Yeah, yeah, um, very interesting. As our experience shows, spiritual mapping is effective that is it certainly does produce an effect whether that effect is good or whether it will last that's another thing entirely so don't rush out there with your roadmap and your pitchfork looking for demons that will end badly i haven't told you all of my stories because i didn't want to frighten listeners too much but there are things i can say uh, more importantly what about what jesus christ can say jesus said when an impure spirit comes out of a person it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it then it says i will return to the house i left when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So, what happens to demons that are cast out? They try to come back. And if their old haunt is empty, they move right in and make it worse. Yes, yeah, so what happens if you go all over town casting out all kinds of territorial spirits from public places, businesses, institutions, etc., etc.? Can you ensure that they aren't left empty for the demons to return? Mm, I know for many charismatics it's a tough pill to swallow, but I can tell you now it's not enough to just pray or declare that the Holy Spirit will fill the place. God works for his people. His body on earth is his church. So if the church isn't filling the gap, then the spirit probably isn't either. God's not going to sign the lease on that empty shop front. You think you can tell the Holy Spirit to move in and occupy some place where people are practicing anti-Christian religion? Well, I have no doubt that he could, but my money is on it that he probably won't. God works in our world most naturally and commonly through the faithfulness of his people. What I'm saying is, unless you're going to lead those people in the Wiccan bookstore to Christ personally, or you're prepared and able to purchase and cleanse and occupy that satanic church building for Christian purposes, or you're going to outbid those tarot readers at the next lease renewal and move into their shop to establish a Christian business, you're probably not going to get lasting results. Now, that's not watertight. There are exceptions. I prayed against a satanic church in Fremantle and saw the upper window burst open from the inside and the curtains billow out on a still summer day without a breath of wind in the air. Soon after that, that place closed down and it became an art gallery. That's the power of prayer in alignment with God's will. And I can only say it was God's will because the prompting I felt on my heart, the prayer I prayed and the final result were all the same. So the proof was in the pudding. And yet the little shop that Chris and I and our friends prayed over on that day when we had that encounter I just told you about, well, until very recently, it was still there, and every time I saw it, I'd raise my petition again and ask God to remove it, and he did not for 20 years. But I never went inside there. I never walked in and spoke to the staff or witnessed to the manager. I haven't shared the gospel of Jesus Christ personally with those people. I've never displaced those strongholds because I never took a foothold. And yet 20 years later, that dark little corner of the city has finally become vacant. Unfortunately for me, I'm not in a position to be able to occupy the place. 
So now I pray, and I hope you'll all join in prayer with me, that some part of Christ's body, some member of the Christian community, can take advantage of that space, that empty little shop front in a Fremantle arcade, and use it for the glory of God. You've got to be careful about spiritual mapping. You can use it the right way or you can mess it up. Unlike some other teachers, I'm not going to tell you that there's no such thing as territorial spirits or powers and principalities active today. By the work and the authority of Jesus Christ, they have lost their legitimacy. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But that doesn't mean these powers are not still around and acting like they run the place. Remember what we learned about creation last season. Creation is an act of bringing order. It can only be done by God or by his appointed agent. If you're going to divide darkness and bring forth light, you need to be acting in the authority of the creator, and that means your will aligned with his. There are teachers that will tell you that Jesus only instructed us to teach and to baptize, not to cast out demons. But Jesus took compassion on those who were afflicted. He never left anyone in the power of a demon, and we shouldn't either. But again, where do demons go? Unless that space, be it a man or a mansion, is occupied by allegiance to Christ and filled with his spirit through the life of active, faithful human witness, it will end up worse off. You can't just vacate the place and leave it. You're condemning that place or that person to a worse fate. People don't just need deliverance, they need allegiance to Christ. They need to be active on the winning team. And we need to be making that happen. Because we're God's hands and feet. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. And as for those demons, if they can't go back to their last place of residence, they'll wander about until they find another. Remember last season we talked about what scripture means when it refers to dry places. That was episode 8. If you missed that one, go listen to it now. G'day folks and welcome back again once more, this time possibly at long last to the first episode of season 2 of the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. This is our giant warfare segment. We've been talking about what to do with demons. So these dry places that the demon wanders through, they're habitable places, whether lands or persons or artefacts, and he's looking for rest. And as we know from episode 18... <laughs> Stop it! I'm not reintroducing the show for the fifth time. I've had enough! Okay, for those who came in late, the concept of rest is tied to a kind of dominion, being in a position where your command of affairs is unchallenged. And that's what demons are looking for. They want a host that won't kick back. The trouble is... People are generally powerless when it comes to resisting a demon on their own because they usually don't even know they're under attack. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. As a believer in God who has made Christ their Lord, and that means submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not just your say-so, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that means you're no longer habitable for a demon. You've reached maximum occupancy. You can't have both. That's why we see in the Revelation that people receive the mark of the beast, but it's only people who don't already have the seal or the mark of the Holy Spirit. So you're saying the mark of the beast is a demonic spirit invited into the body of the unbeliever. Interesting. It's not a medication that people get from a needle regardless of their spiritual allegiance. It's not a microchip or a swarm of nanobots or a 5G signal from our reptilian overlords from space. Uh, correct. Okay. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And later in chapter 5, verse 5, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In Ephesians chapter 1, 14, 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Again, sorry, Pentecostals, but do you see how these terms all blend together? The mark, the seal, the deposit. These describe how the Holy Spirit defines you as one who is identified as allegiant to Yahweh. And the mark of the beast is a similar concept, but a different spirit. So you'd actually have to invite an evil spirit and make it the rule of your life to receive the mark of the beast. Yep. On purpose. Yep. Mm-hmm. Revelation 14, verses 9 to 11. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Revelation 16.2, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Revelation 19 verse 20, but the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. Revelation 20 verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So receiving, and receiving is something you do, not somebody does it to you. The mark is connected to worship of the beast as opposed to the worship of God. You only worship the one you're intentionally loyal to, and those who are loyal to Christ don't receive the mark. So you can't get it by accident, like you know, stepping in dog poo or cracking a mirror or playing Led Zeppelin uh, records backwards? Right. What about getting caught in a barbed wire fence and exposed to gamma radiation? Nah. You can't drink a special formula designed to turn you into an elite super soldier and get the mark? Nope. Fall into a vat of acid and emerge with a ridiculous evil grin? Not even close. And you would know what you're doing in order for that to be a willing submission to that evil spirit. You'd be aware. You wouldn't be tricked into it. Yeah, you're not going to walk into a clinic to get a needle and then the nurse gives you the mark of the beast instead. Ha ha, sucked in there, you're going to hell. One of us, one of us. Yeah, nah, it's not going to happen. It's a bit anticlimactic, really. But when you think about it, who would do that? I mean, who would actually accept the dominion of an evil spirit in their life? Certainly no Christian would do that. Why would anyone want to do that? Well, true, but there are plenty of people who are Christian in name only. Remember, this is a battle of allegiance, and the temptation may be, as we've been craftily alluding to, uh, superpowers. Not flying or laser vision or anything, but, I mean, healing and longevity and that kind of thing. Who knows? But certainly demons do have powers that they can exercise through human hosts, including strength and supernatural insight, among others. As I mentioned in the last season finale, and you can go back and listen to episode 20 of season one for that. Oh, this is just getting ridiculous. Nobody's listened to us now. They've all gone off and listened to previous episodes. 
uh, I suppose I catch it later. All right, well, yeah, sorry. For, for those who came in late, this, this is a case of picking sides. Satan figures he can minimise God's victory by getting as many people as possible in opposition to God, so we can beat him by sharing the gospel of Christ's victory with as many people as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And for tips on how to do just that and do it well, listen to Joshua Sherman's podcast, which you will find alongside ours at the Raven Creek Social Club. It's called Tending Our Nets. Yeah, good good show, that one. All right, I think that's enough. We'll wrap it up there, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. It's time to wrap up today's episode, but if you want more, don't forget to get yourself a copy of Answers to Giant Questions. We're asking readers to please leave a review of the book on Amazon or Goodreads to help it become more visible in search results. Even if you just give it stars, that'll help. But a full review is certainly really appreciated. Please also leave a review of this podcast wherever you found us so that new listeners can find us here on the show. In the future, we want to be talking about your stories as well, not just our own. So if you have had a particular paranormal or spiritual experience, we want to hear from you. And we're also looking for your testimonies about how you have found the content and answers to giant questions to be helpful and or useful. Of course, this podcast comes out every week, but you want to make sure you never miss an episode. So if you haven't already subscribed, do that now and you'll get notified when each new episode drops. That's all we have time for today. We'll catch you next time on the Answers to Giant Questions podcast. Thank you for listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast, a production of the Raven Creek Social Club. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate or review the show. Music supplied under copyright by Grave Forsaken, graveforsaken.com. You can get the book Answers to Giant Questions by TJ Stedman on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. Check out the other podcasts at ravencreeksc.com and go to giantanswers.com for more Answers to Giant Questions. Read the blog, catch us on the socials. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Send us your giant questions and stay tuned to this podcast to get answers. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe and God bless.